Amen. Let's rise again from our seats for our scripture reading. It is just one verse today, Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is his word for us today. Thanks be to God. Please have a seat. Good morning, KSPC. How are you doing? Can you look at each other and ask a really weird question? Where are you going? Let's pray. I'll explain that later. (laughs) Father, um, our hearts are restless. Even when we stand still, we are going somewhere. There are plans for our lives. There are visions for our future, hopes and dreams and fears that have driven us to this moment, Father. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sober heart filled with the Holy Spirit to see where I am on the GPS of my life in relationship to you and the eternal kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that this time would be a time filled with self-reflection, deep introspection, looking at where I am in my relationship with you, and truly desiring to be derailed to go in your direction, Father. That can only be done by the Holy Spirit and radical grace that comes from a sovereign God and a King. And we pray that those elements would converge upon us today in the midst of worship, that many lives who are heading in the wrong direction would be derailed to go before you, Father, and to possess life abundant. Once again, only your spirit can do that, so I do not rely upon my eloquence or the wording of this sermon. I rely upon your Holy Spirit to intimately talk to people that are racing at full speed towards a destination that they presume but do not know. Lord, be glorified in today's worship service. May the mission of God still continue to derail many people unto your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you something peculiar about me. I don't do this too often. Uh, I don't do too many personal testimonies. But um, one thing interesting about me is um, I'm fascinated with uh, gaming consoles, (laughs) Uh, like Playstations and all that. I think that started, um, there's an old friend in this congregation right now. He was with me in Texas when I was like six years old. My parents and I, we loved going to his house uh, for different reasons. My parents loved talking with their parents. They're good friends. <clears throat> In my case, I went there for <clears throat> the Sega gaming console that they had. And it seemed to me like a stable part of life where if you live in an area long enough, you can invest in entertainment and uh, enjoy friendship and, and, and you know, entertainment with your friends. And uh, I remember, like, you know, being yanked around Korea, China, and then back to Texas. And back in Texas, when I was a lonely college student, um, joining a, a, a small group for the first time, I remember after service on Friday, we went to a small group leader's house, and there was a PlayStation. And 30 people were gathered playing soccer together, eating wings and having fun. And I was like, I want to stay here. <laughs> I want to stop moving around. I, I want to go home. I want to be home. Uh, most of my life has been a journey towards going home, and a PlayStation is somewhat resembling of a place I can 
lay my roots down. And then suddenly I remember immigrating to Canada. Uh, no friends, no family, nothing uh, that made sense anymore. I remember just a few months before, before I went to Canada, when I was, uh, my last days in Texas, I bought a PlayStation 2 thinking that I would stay there. Uh, and then God took me to Canada. And I remember writing in my journal, this feels like a train wreck. Uh, I invested so much into my life, presuming that I would live in Austin, Texas, because I finally wanted to settle down. And then it was a train wreck. Everything that I invested in, it was melodramatic when I wrote that journal, uh, was like hitting me from behind, betraying me, because I found myself on a new track. I was derailed. So I went to Canada. I was living... Uh, it was cold, obviously. I was living in a uh, pastor's basement, not knowing what I was supposed to do there. I was just lost. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, adjusting to life in Canada. And about six years later, I found myself as a lawyer um, working in a very uh, prestigious law firm on the 45th floor, looking down at Toronto during the night. And I felt like I finally belonged there. I, I felt like I could do this. So I bought a PlayStation 3. And God brings me to Boston <laughs> for a seminary. So I don't buy gaming consoles anymore. It's, it's bad luck. <laughs> but, you know, I remember in the process, I, I talked to my parents and they gave me advice. You know, if you don't want life to feel like such a train wreck, uh, they encouraged me, live like a missionary. Uh, may all your possessions fit in two immigrant bags. That's how you reduce the impact of a derailment event like that if God yanks you in a new direction. Uh, and so I've lived that way until now. Now I have four immigrant bags filled with children's toys aged four to six. <laughs> Kids, books, everything. Like if my life was derailed right now, there would be a cataclysmic derailment event. Let's look at a picture. This is what a derailment of a train looks like. It's something that we fear the most. Here you are living and going in a certain direction, certain that you would be happy and content if you reach your destination and everything is planned out, security is set up, expecting nothing but roses. Then bam, something derails you and your way of life stacks on and on and on upon you. When I was in college, you know, everything that stacked upon me would be like a, a loud clack and a PlayStation would be flying in the back of my head. But now it's all of life. Like everything that we have accrued until now gets derailed. And it is an unstoppable force that makes your life go completely in an unexpected direction. They come in all shapes and sizes, economical derailments, moral derailments, family relationship derailments, the loss of a loved one, physical derailments, something that takes you off course. And the only thing... The only question that is probably racing through your mind right now is this. How do I prevent this? How do I not get derailed? How do I protect my family? How do I protect my way of life and all the things that I've been pursuing? And I simply want to tell you this. When you get derailed, when you get derailed, be alert to what's happening because all is not as it seems. All is not as it seems. Romans 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Here the word set apart 
comes from the Greek root aphorizo. It basically means to set apart, but more uh, literally, it means to derail, to be derailed off of your previous way of life, to be what? A servant of the gospel. Paul didn't want this. He got derailed into a, a totally new way of life. Paul is basically saying that his life before and after was like a, watching a train wreck in progress that led to his calling of becoming an apostle. He didn't want to be one or a Christian for that matter, but God moved circumstances in sovereign grace in a way that took him off his course. And in this context, today's text tells us that it's okay to get derailed from the direction of life that you were heading for, for three reasons. And we're going to look at the life of Paul to talk about why he says that he was derailed into apostleship for the gospel. Number one, it's okay to be derailed because the way we were headed leads to death and sin. Paul says in Romans 8.2, let's look at the verse. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, derailed you from the law of sin and death, basically. Uh, you're on a new track right now towards life because the previous way was the law of sin and death. It's the requirements of the law that you couldn't fulfill and would only lead to your condemnation. The previous path we walk without God's intervention, without God derailing us, is a path leading to and ending in death implosion. I think Paul wrote this verse reflecting on his own life because, I mean, imagine what could have happened if Paul got exactly what he wanted in the way that he was going. He would have been a passionate, legalistic killer of Christians. He would have succeeded in wiping out the church. And scripture agrees about the basic position of the human heart. Genesis 6, 5, let's look at this together. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The way that we are headed because of the things that we desire. Remember, we talked about how the mission of God changes what we desire and value. Before the mission of God applied to us, we only desired the things that led to evil and death and sin and destruction. Yet, the only question we are preoccupied with is how fast I go in life and how many toys I could pick up on the way. If you made it here to Nova without crushing debt and healthy children and a good job, then trust me, you have been on the track called the American dream for quite a while. You've accelerated so much into this direction that a single bump on the track can cause your life to spin out of control. And so all of you are racing, worried about something that's going to derail your life in a derailment event. And so many of you ask self-preserving questions that ensure you reach the destination. You ask questions like this, Pastor, how can I grow my online influence? What will I tell you? I'll say, it depends. Will you influence people to go to hell? Right? Pastor, how can I find a compatible wife? It depends. Are you looking for a wife that is compatible with your sinfulness? 
Or sometimes people ask, Pastor, what would motivate me to wake up earlier? And I ask, I ask in return, it depends. Are you trying to get a head start on a sinful routine? <laughs> like, it really, really depends on which direction you're going. Remember, I talked at the retreat about this scenario where someone asked, Pastor, should I go to the CIA or the FBI? And I told him, I don't care if you're not on the right track towards life in Jesus Christ. I don't care. I'm sorry. That is not the question I want you to be asking. But yet we accelerate and accelerate and accelerate. So I, after giving you advice, I secretly turn around and pray, Lord, derail him. <laughs> I'm not that bad. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 I pray <laughs> that God would help you see so you can slow down and you turn. Because many of our conversations assume what? Your life presumes what? Linear progress towards happiness and success apart from God. You want success and happiness more than you want God. God is an accessory to your success and happiness, and therefore you are running in the wrong direction. You presume linear progress towards a certain happiness. It's written in our constitution. Right? The pursuit of life and happiness, the pursuit of it. And the scariest thing is that we can't stop. Scripture tells us that we love sin and everything in our lives. That for there reinforces the direction that we go towards because we love sin. Pride that is stronger than iron. And a self-interest and the passions of the flesh that are stronger than steel. That is the railway that we are running upon. It is impossible to escape that. That's why Paul calls it what? The law of sin and death. You cannot break it. You are headed down this path no matter what. And all of you are only interested in accelerating. Going faster and getting there sooner and retiring and continuing this life. Please understand, in order to pray for blessing in your life, true blessing in your life, God has to derail you from the law of sin and death. Do you understand? Yes. Amen. That is the good news for us today. We escaped an impossible life direction. We escaped it. Somehow, that's the good news for us. What derails us is not cosmic causality cause and effect. Your stupidity didn't derail you from the life that you wanted. Amen? Your mistakes didn't make you live the life that you're living right now. You're not paying for your sins right now. Do you get that? Not even Satan caused you to experience that train wreck that you're thinking about right now. Think about it. If you are headed towards destruction, racing down the rails of the laws of sin and death, Satan's best strategy is what? To preserve you. Keep on going, keep on going. That's Satan's strategy. So in this context, what is it that derails us from the life that we are so set upon? Repeat after me. It is the sovereign grace of God. Do you believe that? I'm worried because I didn't hear too many amens because, number one, you might not have been derailed before. Or you don't like it. 
you think there is something that you did to, to screw up your life. And I'm telling you, sovereign grace took you away from the path that you so desired. Even as a pastor, so many pastors need to be derailed from how they want to glorify God. It's got to be this way with this many number of people, with, you know, this kind of sermon. I got to be this good of a speaker to glorify God. Even in those minute ways, God will derail you because he alone deserves the glory. God is the one who derails us by his sovereign grace, and he is so good to do that because they were laws that I could not escape from. Now, I define grace, sovereign grace, as God giving you something that I didn't deserve. Giving you something that we don't deserve because it is undeserved. But because it is undeserved, think about this, it breaks linear cause and effect. It's not because I did something that I got something I deserved. It's not because I did something bad that I'm getting bad karma. It's the fact that I didn't deserve escaping from the law of death and sin. And God's grace pushes you out by sheer merit of his son. Not by our merit. So, therefore, that's why the response is surprising, is unwelcome, is even frustrating to have God's sovereign grace operate in a way that you couldn't think about. People are scared about grace. They're scared of grace because their life needs to be in their control. But think about it. How much do you have at stake in your dreams and hopes? If you think about how fast you're running right now, you'll see just how forceful sovereign grace needs to be to get you on a completely new trajectory. So what did it take to derail Paul from his way of life? It took a lot. Like he had to be temporarily blinded by a vision on Damascus Road. He, had, he was shipwrecked. He was betrayed by his people. He was naked. He starved. He was stoned. And all the things that he lists as his persecution against him. I mean, you know, what does a man have to go through? To look at all of his life's accomplishments and say, I count everything as loss. I count them as garbage. That is a train wreck. It's a derailment. What lets you say that and still survive? It is radical grace. Uh, Something fun about the Bible is this. Israel experienced a derailing as well. You know the third book of the Bible? What is it? It's... Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's Exodus, right? Second book. And so, in Exodus, right, the word ex hodos, ex means out of, and hodos means way. What does that mean? Israel was taken out of the way. They were taken out of the way that they were going upon. So listen to this. Like You might think that Israel was a passive, uh, captive slavery in Egypt. Like They weren't doing anything. They were the victims of Egyptian slavery. But here's the thing. God said, I have to take you out of a way of life. In other words, even while they were in slavery, you know, doing the things that they had to do for survival, their heart was still on a trajectory. The human heart cannot stand still. It must progress in the direction that they think is their hope. Whether that's a PlayStation 1 for me or a 2 for me, or whether that is, you know, a, a life of fulfillment, even in slavery, people must progress forward. 
There is a trajectory that we're on. And so even if you're in slavery and captivity, God says, I must take you out of the way. Ex hodis. You have to get out of the way. Onto a new way of life. So, Israel experienced this derailing when they were derailed unto, from Egypt, to the wilderness. And man, what did they go through? Forty years of suffering. Forty years of being derailed because their previous way of life was so strong, they desired it so much. A trajectory all about their pride and their worldly passion. And so when they were derailed into the wilderness, they kept on saying what? What was their main argument in the wilderness? We have to make a U-turn again. I miss the meat. I miss the comfort. I miss the drinks and the vegetables. I miss the fat paychecks, the autonomy, the fact that I didn't need to ask God about what I'm, how I'm going to live today, the self-reliance, anything but a relationship with God is what our heart desires. It took 40 years of wilderness to completely derail the Israelites, and it's the same with us. When people are derailed from sin to holiness and death to life, separation from God to relationship with God, it is painful. Because it destroys your previous values, your previous preferences, your previous passions. The gospel puts an end to you. Galatians 2.20. Let's read it together. Let's read it slowly together. One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Brothers and sisters, many of you have experienced the derailing of the gospel, like God did something crazy in your life, and you're confessing that there is none like you. There is no one like God that can satisfy my heart. There's no one else like him. But you still live as if you're pursuing the previous Hodos, the way that you're living before. Imagine if a train was on two separate tracks that only grew apart in different directions more over time. That would lead to a complete derailment and destruction of that train. And that's exactly what happens when a Christian simultaneously pursues God and the world. Let's read James 1.8. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do because they're choosing two ways. How many of you are pursuing both tracks? It doesn't make sense for a train. How much more so does it not make for a human being who will serve one master or the other? Grace has derailed you, amen? Amen. Grace has truly derailed you from the way that you want to go. So let the work of grace be complete. Amen? There is no turning back. There is no turning back for those that have been derailed. That is the characteristic of derailment. You can't go back. Now, here's the question. Once again, why is it so quiet right now? Of course, this might not be hitting the spot that you want to hear. But here's the thing. It's difficult because we think that God just derails our way of life and there is nothing that he returns unto us. But when we are derailed by grace, that is not it. Now begins 
my true story. The true way of life that I've been truly desiring happens now after you've been derailed. The way that we are headed, this is reason number three that it's okay to be derailed. Number two was grace is what derails you. And number three, the most important thing is now we are headed towards eternal and the abundant life. And that is why it's okay to be derailed because we are on a better trajectory now. I have good news for you. God doesn't derail you and set you apart just to experience pain and suffering. No, it's not the conclusion. That's not the end of the road. Paul says that he was set apart for the gospel. There's a different purpose to life now. He's set apart and derailed not to be abandoned, but to be set apart for the gospel. When God derails you, he sets you on a course for a new destination that is glorious beyond your wildest imagination. He sets you on a new course. And what is that destination? It is eternal life with God in the presence of God through his son Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. The triune eternity that we're looking for. Now for those of you that are believers, if that is your destiny, if eternal life is your destiny, then what should the scenery look like on that way towards eternal life? If you're heading from Centerville to Washington, D.C., and then you say, oh, look, honey, out the windows, there's Shenandoah Mountains, <laughs> right? You're heading in the wrong direction. If you say, I have been derailed by grace, I'm no longer going towards sin and death, but I'm going towards life everlasting, but you see continued desire for sin, continued lusting after your passions, continued distrust of God, then you're probably in the wrong direction. 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm running, right? Into his marvelous light. And so that means the scenery should be progressing from darkness to light, from a hatred of holiness towards a hatred of sin, a love of my flesh towards the love of God's will. All these changes should be happening out the window of your scenery. It should be a change that you see in your life. Growing fruit and spirit, uh, growing fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel, rather than being ashamed of it. These are changes that we need to see if you are really headed towards eternal life. And I want you to ask you to examine yourselves. Let this be a gentle reminder. If you have been derailed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you have to see a change of scenery. Listen to this. God wants all of you. He wants all of your being because... Repeat after me. The purpose of the gospel is not just to be informed, but to be transformed. The gospel requires a complete change of direction and a change of scenery, a change of the way of your life that you're living, a change of schedule, a change of your calendar, a change of the things that you desire. Everything is a U-turn in God. And that's what we need to see in this life. For example, when parents see their children, you know, playing on the highway, 
They don't just yank them out of the way. They don't just derail them from that freeway and say, okay, like, now that I've saved you, have a nice life. If they are his children, the dad will say what? Come home. Let me feed you. Let's get you dressed up. And then I'm going to watch you grow into a young adult. God doesn't just free you so that you can have no relationship with anymore. He frees you so that you become the full image of his son in Jesus Christ. He wants to get you to the full direction. He doesn't just say, you are liberated from sin and death. Do whatever you want. He sets you on a new track. And that is my biggest question for most of you. Most of us in the congregation is, are we on a new track towards full maturity in Jesus Christ? Or have we just said, now that God has freed me, I want to do what I want to do. We are on a new track. Once you are on this course, I want you to be assured of something that is beautiful. Nothing can now derail you from this new path. Amen? We call that the perseverance of the saints. God will always protect you when you are on this new path because grace and mercy is a new law that you are racing upon now. God's grace and favor and mercy that belongs to his children, those are the unbreakable tracks that you are racing upon. And grace is stronger than the law because law was written in ink, but grace was written by the blood of Jesus Christ. So... When you finish your race, you will have final and ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. You will. It's a guarantee, not based upon your merit and how moral you are. It is the strength of Jesus' blood that will lead you in that direction. Amen? So you will be victorious. I'm not worried about any of you. You are perfect royal priesthoods and sons and daughters of God. You are beautiful in his eyes. You will get there. Let's look at some of the promises. Your pastor crying this out might not be authoritative enough. Let's see the word of God. Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. He'll give us all things graciously. Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to its completion. At the day of Jesus Christ, you will reach the goal that God has set you upon. It is an unbreakable law if you are derailed by God's grace. I want you to see the beauty of this. You have hope and security eternal. And so let's look to the mission of God, the slide, to talk about today's mission. God's mission is to create a people that have been derailed onto a new trajectory of eternal life and are being transformed to live for the gospel. This is my question for you today. Have you been derailed by grace? Have you? Then you can rejoice because you are headed to a new destination sealed by the blood of Jesus. And that means some of you might even be dragged into heaven. You don't want to go. You don't want to obey God. You don't want to love him. But God's grace is so sovereign that he will drag the most unworthy sinner like me into heaven because his law is perfect and complete in Jesus Christ. 
So what does it take to derail you, turn you around, propel you into a new life? I believed in Jesus in middle school, but I didn't understand. You know, nobody really knows what they're going through. I was in college now. I was just going alone uh, one day in life, going back home uh, on a bus from school. And I heard a sermon. Bam! (laughs) A sermon hit me and derailed me because uh, what I heard was, He became sin who knew no sin that I might become the righteousness of God. I was struggling with my sinfulness all those years in college. And it said, he became sin who knew no sin, that I could become righteousness of God. Listen to this. On the cross, on the cross, God treated his perfect son as if he committed every sin that all of humanity would ever commit all the days past, present, and future. He treated him like a total sinner, even though he was pure and holy and a beautiful child, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Why? Why is he, my Lord, hanging on the cross? Because God looked at him and treated Jesus as if he lived my life. And then after seeing Jesus, he turns and looks at me and he treats me like, as if I lived Jesus' life. As if I lived and lived a life of perfect obedience. As if I was righteous. And so once I look at the picture, right? Once I hear that verse, he became sin who knew no sin. That I might become the righteousness of God. How can I live for myself? How can I live in my previous trajectory? How does that make sense? If God has lived and died for me that I would be treated as a son of God. How can I live in my previous trajectory? That's what it means to be derailed. The gospel alone can derail a self-sufficient man or woman to trust and love and rely upon the beauty of God and his goodness in the gospel. And I pray that God would derail all of you. I know this sounds in today's culture so patronizing and so condescending, but God must derail you from your way if you are on the way of law, of the laws of sin and death. If you do not believe in Jesus, God must turn you around. And I pray that the gospel, it presented in full force every Sunday, would turn you around to help you see the beauty of God that has given his son for you. And this must, this must be holistically known and felt and received. And so I want to print the gospel in a different way today in your heart. There was, let's get a picture. Uh, this is a bridge of a very old photo. Uh, uh, in 1937, there was a man named John Griffith who worked as a bridge operator. and connected a railroad from one side of the Mississippi River all the way to the other side. And he took his eight-year-old son, Greg Griffith, uh, to work with him one day and showed him how he operated the lever to lower the bridge when trains came and raise the bridge when boats would pass by under. And so they were wandering around. They were talking. They were having a good time. They were having a lunch break. And suddenly John hears an unscheduled train, a whistle coming from the horizon. And it was a Memphis Express train carrying 400 passengers. And so it wasn't scheduled, so the bridge was up. It would be derailed if he didn't lower it. So John looks at the coming train. He looks at the bridge to make sure nothing is there. But to his horror, he sees that his son is caught by his legs on the cogs. This is a true story. 
So he's faced with the paradox to lower the train, uh, to lower the bridge and kill his son, or to save his son and kill 400. He looked, he cried, he lowered the bridge, shut his ears to the cries of the son, even though it was just being drowned out by the passing train, and the train passed by without anyone knowing what happened. Every account I read about this story from different newsletters or different stories said that John Griffith was shouting at that train passing by because it was unscheduled, asking them on the train, the 400 people, do you know what I had to do to get you across? And that is the story of our lives. No one knows what God did to get us across. We presume we're on the right track. We presume that God just wants me to be happy and just live my life and accelerate faster and faster and faster, doing the things I want without anyone talking about the son that was crushed for our sins and iniquities so that we can cross over into eternal life. No one talks about that. That's the story of our lives. I'm heading in the wrong direction. The bridge is raised. There's no way to get, for me to get to God and his righteousness. I'm going to be derailed. What can I do? The good news of the gospel is that God lowered the bridge of the cross, crushing his son, that we would be sons and daughters of God and sharing in his righteousness. God shut his ears to the cries of Jesus, crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God closed his ears to that so that we would pass by. Nobody has heard the cries of the Son of God except for those few that have heard the gospel. I am just a fellow passenger with you. And I heard from another fellow passenger that the Son of God died so that we can cross over into eternal life. And I'm just sharing this message that we are alive because of what Christ did for us. And that's called the mission of God, to let the world know that if you believe in Jesus, he was crushed for your sin, that you would have eternal life. And today, that continues derailing everyone. Case PC, do you feel like you have been derailed? Are you looking at your life and saying, yep, this is the end of the road for me. This is the end of my life as I know it. I have good news for you. That is the U-turn that God has sealed upon your life with the blood of Jesus Christ. Sealed so that you would now have eternal security and eternal safety and righteousness in his presence. It's no wonder that people call the cross the great stumbling block. It has derailed kings and queens, presidents, it has derailed the dictators and the rich and the poor, the famous and the unknown, the common and the special. Everyone in between has been derailed by the stumbling block of Jesus Christ. Either it makes no sense and it is the foolishness of man. Or it is the bridge done by the foolishness of God to, to lower that bridge upon his son that we would be saved forever. And I present that stumbling block before you. You cannot avoid it. You cannot ignore it any longer. May the gospel do its work. May it derail you or may it change the scenery around you that you would be consistent with the life that you are now heading towards. And then finally, 
We can go home. 